There is no point in protecting very weak cultures. Because I know actually some white nationalists listen to our channel. Like This is why we care so little about white nationalism. Even if you do seal yourself off, you'll just die alone like Korea. In fact, I can't think of any wealthy monocultures or wealthy ethnic states that have high fertility rates. Not, not a single mm. one in the world. You look at the countries that are wealthy with the highest fertility rates and they've shown the most resistance to fertility collapse. You're looking at countries like Israel and the United States, which are two of the most diverse wealthy countries. The rules of the game have completely changed. And when you play by the old system, you lose. Now, where this is relevant to immigration policy in the U.S. But what I've also found really interesting is your, essentially your offensive stance on immigration. Would you like to know more? Hello, Malcolm. Hello, Simone. How's it going? I'm enjoying a beautiful overcast day. It's gorgeous. I'm enjoying it too. What are we talking about today? Immigration, my friend. Immigration. Yeah, I think that this is a fun one for us to dig into because it's a topic where both of the political parties' perspective on this has been shifting a lot recently. And mm. we have a perspective on what should be the conservative position going forwards and what made sense as a conservative position historically. Hmm. So historically, the conservative position on immigration is let's prevent immigration, right? Maintain cultural homogeny of a region to prevent any culture within that region from eroding uh, hmm. so that culture can be transmitted well from one generation to future generations. And then if you were going to spread your culture or your ideology, you do it through conquest or through <laughs> market forces. Um, or through manifest destiny. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a manifest destiny way of doing it or, or countries trying to take over their neighbors, but you can also export it through market-based forces. So if you yeah. bring another country to a market-based system and you are exporting your culture in a free market of ideas, but you are the dominant cultural force in the world or the wealthiest cultural force, it's very easy to begin to stomp out other cultures with your cultural exports. But the game has entirely changed now and that system doesn't make sense anymore and it doesn't achieve what it used to achieve. So mm. the reason why you would do that historically was so that other groups did not erode your culture. However, there are two big hiccups to that these days. The first being that no matter where you are in the world, your kids and your community is going to have access to the entire world of cultures online. If yeah. they're engaged in any sort of technophilic lifestyle, which means most lifestyles that allow for high economic output. Mm -hmm. So economically productive individuals are going to be able to see pretty much all of the world's culture and the internet culture is going to be part of their life wherever they are. And so the market forces don't matter as much when you're dealing, they do to an extent, but a lot less than they did historically. And maintaining control of your borders matters a lot less when you're talking about cultural erosion. Mm -hmm. uh, the other is that fertility rates are falling all over the world, even within conservative cultures that historically would have just naturally grown had they been left alone. So if you look at the wealthy countries in the world with the lowest fertility rates, with a few exceptions like Singapore, almost all of them are very culturally homogenous. Obviously, great example here is South Korea, which was one of the lowest fertility rates in the world, which is basically a monoculture and a mono-ethnic state. In fact, I can't think of any wealthy 
monocultures or wealthy ethnic states that have high fertility rates. Not, not a single mm. one in the world. You look at the countries that are wealthy with the highest fertility rates and they've shown the most resistant to, to fertility collapse. You're looking at countries like Israel and the United States, which are two of the most diverse wealthy countries. Mm -hmm. So sealing yourself off from the rest of the world because other countries are eroding yours doesn't really protect you anymore. And here's yeah. where I'm going to say something that's very offensive. There is no point really in protecting very weak cultures. If a culture today cannot survive in the face of other cultural forces, there is no reason to protect it. What we can do is look for mutations of that culture that do show resistance. If we were looking at a population like in, in ecology and there was like a new pollution in the landscape and it was killing almost all of this one species of bunnies, there's no point in saving the bunnies that are most dying due to this pollution. You want to look for the iterations of that bunny that are most resistant to the pollution. And at the end of the day, because I know actually some white nationalists listen to our channel, like this is why we care so little about white nationalism, especially any form of, of I, I can even understand like ethnic groups like caring about their own kind, right? What I can't understand is why I would at all care about a form of nationalism that goes extinct as soon as there's immigrant populations around them. Like that, that's the world of the future, right? Even if you do seal yourself off, you'll just die alone like Korea. Remind me of Mr. House from Fallout 3, like talking about how superior he is. And then the moment you go to unseal him from his hermetic pod, he starts like gasping and is like, oh no, a single germ will kill me. It's okay. Well, like clearly you're not that great a culture. And, and, and this is what really matters is, is that historically, if you look at people with this old cultural mindset, so you look at this in Russia right now, right? They're like, okay, well, we, we need to consolidate people of our cultural groups. We need to spread our cultural ideals, which you saw them doing in Ukraine, force Russian mm -hmm. language and stuff like that when they controlled Ukraine. And it looks like they were going to do that again if they went over and took over Ukraine again, right? That's how they're going to spread their culture. But why? Like... Their, their own fertility rate is almost nothing. The Ukrainian fertility rate is almost nothing. They are achieving nothing. It, it is completely pointless. And yet you look at cultural groups that have no aspiration of taking over the state, like the Amish, which are exploding. You look at the Hutterites, which is a branch of Anabaptists, and they've gone in just the past 140 years from 400 people in, in one community to over 50,000. And that's with no immigration, no conversion, just a high birth rate can win. And the Amish, they aren't going out converting other people. They aren't going out conquering other people. And yet they are cleaning up now because the rules of the game have completely changed. And when you play by the old system, you lose. Now, where this is relevant to immigration policy in the U.S., is every cultural group living within the U.S. or in any country that can resist outside cultures and better, they can convert outside cultures or the cultural groups that will win in the future. So you look, this is another interesting thing. So you see people like, um, he's, he's talked about us before, Nick Fuentes, right? He goes on about, oh, you guys are so terrible. So he's a Catholic integralist, right? He believes that eventually you should have a Catholic monarchy that like rules over the entire world. And he's against immigration. And I'm often like, why would a Catholic immigrant uh, integralist be against immigration if like most of the immigrant populations are Catholic? And the answer is, 
if you look at the rates is because a lot of the Hispanic immigrants are converting to Protestant cultural traditions away mm -hmm. from Catholic cultural traditions. So of course he'd be scared about that, right? But what that means is actually, if your culture is a really strong culture, any immigrant community that comes to your country will convert into that culture. You benefit from immigration uh, in a big way. But okay, so anyway, the future is you have to be able to survive in the face of other cultural groups and alongside and copacetically with other cultural groups. So then what type of immigrants do you want? What you want are immigrants that help the economy of your country. And that's not true of all immigrant groups today, right? And this is something that Trump actually worked for was skill-based immigration policy. Mm -hmm. um, and it was shut down because he couldn't get enough Republican support for it or really galvanize the troops. But if he had, that would have been a really powerful immigration policy I really would have supported to the extent where I just think it's crazy that we have people come to our country, we give them PhDs from like Harvard and Stanford, and then what, we kick them out? What are we yeah, doing? Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. But I want to hear your thoughts on this, Simone. I've just ranted for a long time without giving you a chance to speak. You've talked about the defensive perspective on immigration, which I think is important. And I, I think it's interesting. But what I've also found really interesting is your essentially your offensive stance on immigration. Sort of the point you make is in the past to essentially take over a nation, you had to invade it as a group. And that's that's what still some nations are apparently trying to do. Whereas in a future in which population or fertility rates crash in the face of modernity, really the way that you can take over a territory, a nation, whatever you want is by merely creating an intergenerationally durable culture. So I don't think it's just that, okay, well, if you love your culture, if you care about it, you, you shouldn't be afraid of immigration because if you can't compete in the face of it, you you kind of don't deserve to stick around, but also this really interesting idea that, okay, if you really, really do love your culture, what you should really be focusing on is making your culture as strong, as competitive, as sustainable, and as high fertility as possible, because you can literally inherit the world without war, without violence, without anything, if you manage to do that, if you manage to be one of the best of the best, both yeah. in terms of just being competitive, technologically, economically, whatever speaking, but also just maintaining population rates and growing in population. Yeah, a single family having eight kids for 11 generations has more descendants than live on Earth today. And, and to what you're speaking, where this was really clear to me is when I was working in Korea at the current Korean fertility rate, which is 0 0.8, that means for every 100 Koreans, there'll be 6.4 great-grandchildren, right? And this is if it doesn't keep declining, which everything looks like it will. So they're down to 6% of their current population in 100 years, probably less, probably like 4 or 3%. And I was thinking, okay, so then what do they do? Like, where do they get people to fill all this land? I was like, well, they could take people from their neighbors, like China or Japan, but those countries also have collapsing populations. And, and you're looking at these three countries that historically have been at each other's throats. And, and less than 100 years ago, one of them, Japan, went through, murdered, I think, millions of people, at least hundreds of thousands of people, to, to try to culturally dominate these other two regions. So they were able to motivate their people to go out and kill people to spread their culture. But they were, were to dominate other regions, but they aren't able to motivate them to just have kids to do the same thing. And I think that this is the crazy thing, that it is actually harder in the face of modernity, in the face of the internet, in the face of prosperity to motivate people to have kids than it was historically to motivate people to kill other people. And that's, that's wild, but it is kind of cool when you look at this new cultural game because the people who win are the people 
who can love better. And, and I say not breed better, right? Because you could just have 10 kids, but mm -hmm. if you don't give those kids a good childhood, it, it, they'll leave your culture. We live in this great world today where the first 18 months of a kid's life, right, are a pitch that your cultural group is the cultural group they should stay in and they can leave that cultural group and go to other cultural groups if you don't make the pitch well. Or if you allow other people to brainwash them when they're too young, which is one of the reasons why you want to sort of use, keep your hands on your kids. So I understand in some countries, other cultural groups have rigged the game, basically taking people's kids from them. And that's, that's really harsh. But then you have to get out of those countries, right? If a country's not going to let you impulse your culture to your kids, you need to get out of those countries. Because I think that's the highest sovereign right of any individual in, in, in any cultural group, especially in a world where the dominant cultural groups, the groups that they're trying to imprint your kids with, are just so low fertility. But what's great is in this world where you get this 18 years to make a kid's a, a pitch, join my culture, many of the old tactics that groups used to use, if you don't join my culture, you'll be shunned. It's well too bad. Like the internet exists. Like I'll find the friends in other places. Like a lot of the threats that cultures used to use to keep kids within their groups don't work. Really the only pitches that seem to consistently work these days, and I think this is part of the reasons why Jewish fertility rates are so high in the face of prosperity, is stay in our cultural group and you will benefit. Like there are, there are benefits to being a member of our cultural group. It makes your life easier in these ways. It helps your career in these ways. It helps your mental health in these ways. And so I think pitches that lean towards that rather than the threats, which historically used to be a really good cultural strategy, are, are the cultural groups that will win in the future, which is again why I say you need to learn to love better than other cultural groups to dominate the future. But here is the other thing about aggressive immigration policy that someone was talking about and using immigration policy offensively. And this is something I'm really sad that America hasn't done. Offensive immigration policy. I just love the term yeah. on its own. Well, it's something like when China started messing with Hong Kong recently and started making all those changes, America just said, okay, everyone in Hong Kong with over this much money, free immigrant pass to the U.S. And, and let me tell you what, people from Hong Kong, they're not going to convert your kids to their culture, okay? Like they are of no threat to you as a cultural group. There are people out there who want to convert your kids to their culture, but they're not the immigrants. So anyway, they're of no threat to you. Anyone, even the most like racist American, these people are of no threat to them, really. So you 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 bring in these, these wealthy Hong Kong immigrants. China has now won a completely feckless prize. We could do the same with Russians when Russia starts this uh, a war that we don't like, right? So you say, okay, well, every Russian with over X amount of money, you get free pass to the U.S., you can do this to any country in the world as an offensive push and you drain their tax base, you drain their industry base, and you raise our own. And I know that, that many Americans are like, well, now there's wealthier people than us. Everybody wants some new wealthy immigrant on their street who's paying for stuff. I mean, unless they're only buying from local immigrant communities, which presumably they wouldn't be, it benefits everyone. It benefits every cultural group. Well, and honestly, I don't even think it's a bad thing for people in a neighborhood where an immigrant community is moving in and they're only buying from immigrant stores. Like we have a large Indian immigrant community near where we yeah. live. And oh my God, the Indian restaurants, the Indian grocery stores, like I, I've lived in major cities where I would pay to have those kinds of amenities. So also, I think one of the big things that I struggle with, with immigration, with fears around immigration, I mean, I understand people's concerns about jobs and everything, but... But that only matters if you're taking low-skilled immigrants. Yeah. 
Yeah, that does. And, and, and wealth brings in additional businesses, employment opportunities, amazing things. But then there's also this, I don't know, the, the feeling of interest in, in cultural homogeny. I mean, for example, we, we've recently heard from folks who are like trying to make it easier for people to date people who are racially similar to them, which like, I, I just don't get it because part of me is like, but the whole point is you want to take whatever you have and make it better. And that's also why we don't get life extension, right? Like, why would you make just you go forever when you could combine yourself with someone else who you really respect and make a new improved version of you that's reinforced and slightly different? And I also think it's odd. I mean, I understand having cultural pride and wanting to pass that down, but I think a really big part in having cultural pride is having enough respect for your culture and its inherent values and the traditions that you really like mm -hmm. to try to make them stronger and to make sure that they will last in the face of whatever new modern pressures you're facing. So, I mean, part of me is also confused by concerns about immigration or being wiped out because it's, no, 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 bring it in. Let's see additional groups and see how they perform and copy what we like or integrate what we like, combine forces. And also we're really big supporters of plurality. So rather than just kind of wanting there to be a Noah's Ark of cultures, for example, let's keep the Janes, the Emiratis, the South Koreans, the Native Americans. We'd rather see a future in, we, we honestly don't care necessarily if any culture that is alive today exists in a hundred years. What we care about is if maybe like a bunch of weird combinations and iterations and forks of them exist. That's a much better world. Like a yeah. stagnant culture, a stagnant ethnicity is of zero interest to us. However, the presence of a broad variety of cultures, ethnicities, whatever it is that you care about is of great interest to us. So immigration also kind of confuses me because I'm like, oh, this is a chance for us to create a bunch of different forks, a bunch of different combinations, mix and match, do whatever it is you want, learn from each other. Like we're all gonna benefit. What, what am I missing that like really rubs people the wrong way? Well, so what they don't like is they think that people come into the country and then they change the national character of the country after coming in. Okay. And I will be honest, I think as Americans, this is something that we deal with a lot less than people in Europe. Yeah, well, I think I think one of the big issues is the nature of immigration that's happening in many other nations is is a population that is often like extremely destitute coming from a very war torn area and that's going to change. Well, no, I, I, so I, I, I'd argue it's something different. So if you look at the US, our major immigrant group is Hispanic immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, and this immigrant group, again, as I pointed out, you can look at the statistics, they are converting in mass to American, like Protestant evangelical groups. That's so you're saying there's a lot of cultural compatibility, right? Well, it's, it's cultural compatibility, but it's also that there isn't a cultural moat. Like uh, America, mm. despite what people say, actually is really good at integrating cultures that come into our country. Hmm. There, there is some limit to that, especially when you're talking about, and, and I think that this is a really important thing to note. America is really good at integrating cultures into our country when it sees the immigrants from those cultures as economically useful. Then it puts uh -huh. them into our university system. Then it, it integrates them into our culture. When it doesn't see them as economically useful, it's very bad at integrating them because sort of the, the machines of our system see no point in engaging them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also what you see in Europe, which is another reason why 
high-skilled immigration makes so much sense. Yeah. Because it allows people to to come in who will integrate. High-skilled immigrants do integrate with the culture within two generations. Well, and I guess that that also it goes both ways with my my value system, right? Like immigration, but I only like it if it's with cultures that are willing to play ball, cultures that are willing to mix and match and assimilate and in, interact, right? Like I'm not I, I, right. I wouldn't so the see any problem benefit. is that that as an immigration policy, well, that would freak out progressives. Is, is mm-hmm. that something you can measure, right? And you can say, okay, well, this cultural group seems really bad at integrating. Therefore, we'll put restrictions on right. this cultural group immigrating to our country. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're like, well, that's a race or a cultural limitation on who can immigrate to your country. Right. Um, and so they freak out about that. But mm. I, I really don't think that that's a bad system to just look objectively which, but actually, I don't even think it's a good system. Okay, I'm going to take that back. I don't think it's a good system because I, I think that across cultural groups, really the thing that protects groups from integrating is wealth. Mm. Low wealth groups across groups don't integrate very well. High wealth groups across groups integrate very well. So mm. if, if you are, if you do make this a skill-based thing and and you can even set up systems so people can say well this isn't open to everyone well then you can set up to if you really want to screw over other countries right you set up like online training things like online universities and you make them free so the u.s government could host this like an online university and then the top five percent of students from all over the world get automatic citizenship Um, so you can deploy this especially in countries you really don't like and then just within like five no, just like brain drain, brain drain, brain yeah, that, drain. That is brain a dick drain. move, but I also love it. <laughs> well, no, and all of a sudden, not only is their economy like not able to function at a basic level, oh but like you've taken away all of their industrial capacity, all of their competence. No, but this is something you- I mean, it's a great with. offensive maneuver. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, yeah, and you can do it between generations. So you're getting people, like this is the way you do it. So it's not just open to people because you're talking with some of these countries, like you talk about block countries, right? Like yeah. a lot of these countries, the people who are in charge are just the people whose families have been in charge for a long time, right? Like mm-hmm. people haven't been given a fair shot. Mm-hmm. So if you come in there with a meritocratic system and you start siphoning off all of the actually talented and motivated people, right. you can crush anyone you don't like. Dating, devastating. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah, it's it's a fun, I mean, it's it's a difficult, it's a difficult subject because I think also a lot of it gets mixed with, and we've totally not talked about this, but like refugee populations and, and all that. And I think it's, well, I, it's I don't think you should allow immigrants from those populations at all. Where should refugees go? I, I, I don't think it's, it's it, you, we should strive to create a world where every country is prosperous and peaceful. Yeah. But I do not think that we benefit from letting, if you look at, and you look at this in some countries where like a huge portion of the immigrant population just goes directly on to social security, just goes directly yeah, yeah. on to government paid. And it doesn't help, any, it doesn't seem to help anyone involved. No, it's not, it's not fixing anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be tr- striving to create a better world everywhere. Well, understanding that some countries are malicious actors and mm-hmm. that through the system I have described, you can permanently cripple those countries. And I think it's a malicious system if you put it into place. I'm not saying it's the best system, but what I'm saying, a country has done something really bad. Like China, when they start going genocidal, right? 
yeah, it might make sense to implement a policy like this. And and I think you would see really quickly how how fast these countries would freak out when you start siphoning off their competent workforce. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But in regards to the 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 initial thing of this, because there's this this strain in the U.S., which is, well, we need to preserve, like, I don't know, traditional white culture or something like that. And it's, dude, if your culture in, in the new world order, and this world order has been created. It's not like somebody's out there trying to create it. It's over. It's, it's the emergent or world order of the internet. If it can't survive in the face of competition, if it can't on its own motivate reproduction is just not a relevant player anymore and i see no point in saving these weak cultural groups we need to find variants of them because in in order to maintain the strengths of diversity we need to find variants of them that can stay alive but more broadly no i don't i don't see the point to save every family in these cultural groups especially the ones that are that are begging for isolation well and i think there's no there's really no such thing as an unchanging culture, like the cultures that I think many people think they're preserving, the traditional cultures, the inherited cultures actually have changed quite significantly over quite the past. New, quite young. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're fresh. They're new. This is not a brand new thing, but it's also not a, an ancient tradition. It is going to change naturally. So kind of like with our argument on life extension, there is no such thing as a continuous culture, even if you leave it in isolation over a hundred years, just like there's no such thing as a continuous consciousness or, or biological human over a hundred years. So rather than trying to hold on to something that's utterly impossible, why don't you have fun with mixing, matching, forking, iterating, and improving in, in a way that helps everyone and that makes all groups stronger? Anyway, yeah, this well, is fun. I think that to really point, I mean, if we're talking about like the, the, the elephant in the room, when people are like, well, Western white culture, right? They're like, that's what I want to preserve. And it's like, do you think that, 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 that what you think of as today as Western white culture is anything close to what it was 500 years ago? No, seriously. No, no. They are wildly more different from each other than they are from Hispanic immigrant populations, from American black populations. Like the, you, you have changed so much. What you mean by historic white culture often is a lie that was never really that common that was sold to you by the Hollywood elite who was in power in the 1950s. That was never a dominant cultural group in this country. It has always been a fabrication sold to you by the Hollywood elites and you believe them because what? They were the Hollywood elites for 50 years ago? So, so those Hollywood elites were so different from today's Hollywood elites. They had no mischievous intentions, no malintentions on, on, on disrupting your cultural group. Of course they did. Of course they did. They don't care about you. They were trying to sell stuff. Anyway. I feel somewhat similarly about, for example, Bronze Age mindset. It's a lovely fantasy, but it, if you actually went back to the Bronze Age and existed even as a super strong alpha male type, you probably would want to go back to today real fast, like even as, as an incel dude. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's fun to have fantasies. I'm all for indulging in them, but we need to 
we need to be realistic. But yeah, anyway, I love talking with you, Malcolm. This was really fun. Looking forward to our next conversation. These are like our dates. They're so great. I love spending time with you. But everything's a date. Dropping off the kids at daycare is a date. Doing our taxes. Well, I, I, I find is a them date. really engaging and I get excited about them and I get excited seeing how people are going to react to them. That's that's one of my favorite things. Through you, of course. I I can't deal. I can barely deal with reading the comments myself. But through you, you know how we talk about like offense? And I'm like, oh yeah, if somebody was like, Malcolm, you're dumb, that wouldn't really offend me. If somebody was like, Malcolm, you're fat, that wouldn't offend me. One comment we see regularly that I like, oh my God, they're so right. Like, I hate this about myself. You talk over people, Malcolm. And I'm like, that's how you really get someone. If you say something that makes them question their self-identity and they know it's probably true. Because when I read that, oh, it's just crippling. Because I'm like, I really don't want to be that kind of a person, but I am. I so am. give us your brutal, constructive, realistic criticism because that's how you really twist the knife friends that's mm -hmm. how you do it <laughs> love you all bye